You are listening to episode 33 of the EU Startups podcast. Today's guest is Ricardo Mavao, the co-founder of Beta.ai, which is a Lisbon-based innovation consultancy with a global reach. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the EU Startups Podcast. As you might have heard, on April 20 and 21st, we're going to host this year's EU Startup Summit in beautiful Barcelona with over 2,000 founders, startup enthusiasts, and investors. We'll also have a big pitch competition with a prize package worth more than 160,000 euros. The application deadline for the pitch competition is on February 15, and you can find further information about it on eustartups.com. Either way, I'm looking forward to meeting you in person at the event. And since tickets are selling fast, I'm recommending you to secure your ticket already as soon as possible. And before we jump into the interview with today's guest, I'm excited to introduce our podcast sponsor. This episode of the EU Startups Podcast is brought to you by Vanta, helping you scale security practices and automate compliance for the industry's most thought-after standards. To close and grow major customers, you have to demonstrate trust. But providing your security and compliance can be time-consuming, tedious and expensive, especially for startups. Unless you use Vanta. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for the most thought-after compliance standards like SOC2 and ISO 27001 and gets you audit-ready in weeks instead of months. With Vanta, you get up to 400 hours of your time back and reach up to 85% in cost savings. And for a limited time, EU Startups listeners get $1,000 off Vanta. Just go to vanta.com forward slash EU startups without a dash to get started. And now I'm handing over to my colleague Patricia and to today's guest. Hello and welcome to another episode of the EU Startups podcast. Today we're really excited to be joined by Ricardo, who is the co-founder and head of global growth at BetaEye. And he's someone who is really a leading player within Portugal's thriving startup ecosystem and currently pioneering a new paradigm for the world of innovation, which is called collaborative innovation, which we're going to jump into over the course of this episode. Over the course of his career as well, Ricardo has been investing in promising startups. He's launched the Lisbon Startup Guide. He has been a jury of the European Innovation Councils and for the European Commission. And he's really been at the forefront of, of developing, exploring synergies and linkages between the public and the private sphere and looking at how startups and entrepreneurship can influence society for good. So he's a very interesting person for sure. And I'm super excited. So thank you so much, Ricardo, for joining us today. Thanks. Thanks for, for having me. Great. So just to, to kick things off, could you maybe just tell us a little bit about your, your background and your entrepreneurial story? Sure. I mean, I, I started as an entrepreneur quite early. Um, I w was into the space uh, market. Basically, I was working for the European Space Agency. Started my first uh, real startup there with um, a another friend, um, and we we managed to grow that company. And then we sold uh, back in 2010. Mm -hmm. We sold it to a big IT company, 
but it was very interesting. And so my background is computer science and aerospace. Okay. Um, and then um, back in 2010, uh, I guess you saw on TV or something like this, that Portugal had a, uh, was bankrupt and yeah. had a big, uh, nasty uh, fall. And uh, a bunch of friends, we got together and we wanted to do something for the country. And so we started this nonprofit to really help the, um, the young generation in Portugal. So we wanted them to look at entrepreneurship as a way out of the crisis. So if you can't find a job, create your own job. And so we started Betty. It's quite fascinating. It's quite inspiring as well, you know, to take what is a massive crisis and use it as, as an opportunity, right, to, to improve things. Yeah, I mean, for us, uh, we started because we thought that was a really interesting way. And plus, you have to see that the context was you had all this growth, especially in the US, of mm-hmm. co-workings and accelerators and everything was starting in the US. And we all felt that, okay, this is going to hit Europe really in a, a big way. Uh, mm-hmm. And we all see it today. But at the time, we you, you either you were in it and you really understood the impact or you, you couldn't see it. Um, yeah. And so we started little and, of course, inviting people to come, inspiring people to, to look at entrepreneurship. And then little by little, people started, okay, I have an idea. How do I start? And it started like this. And then uh, I have a prototype. How do I go to market? And then I have, uh, I want to get invested. I want to go international. So all that started. And then, of course, corporates also started coming to Mm -hmm. us and saying, this is very interesting what you do with startups. Do you also do this for corporates? And so the ecosystem evolved, uh, even on the the financial parts. A lot of startups started coming to us and saying, okay, it's hard to get that first pre-seed investment. Can you help us? And so we started also a, a pre-seed fund, mm-hmm. actually back in 2015, uh, to actually uh, help on the first, you know, the first 50k in that uh, in that first idea. Interesting. So you're really at the start of that that bubble growing um, back in back in 2010. And so, yeah, now your your main project is Better AI, which is described as a global collaborative innovation consultancy, uh, which takes innovation projects from, from strategy to pilot testing, as, as you've been mentioning there. So let's break it down a little bit, um, because, you know, for, for many years, we've been talking about open innovation. Yes. And now you're talking about collaborative innovation as like yes. the new paradigm, the new wave. What exactly is it? Could you explain? So open innovation um, is mainly where you have this abundance of ideas that you get from different external um, uh, sources, mainly startups. And then you get all these ideas, you put them one-on-one with a corporate, for instance, and a startup, and you try to see if it evolves or not into something. But now with this collaborative innovation, it's much more complex. Also because at the first stage of open innovation, it was mainly really to try to see if there was this interaction and if there was any result that comes. But now corporates are much more straightforward. They have their own requirements that they are looking at. They know exactly what they want. And also you create an ecosystem around that that need that helps fuel the um, what the, the needs the the requirement from the company um, can get. So basically, what you get is a lot more 
um, uh, stakeholders involved in it, government, mm -hmm. you get um, universities, the startups, the corporates, also you get different corporates working together. And what we've seen is this helps build more pilots, more solid pilots faster because, because they exchange on how was that pilot or how was uh, working with that startup. By exchanging that information, you decide a lot faster. And because you decide a lot faster, you're able to produce a lot more. You know better what you want. Uh, and so you are much more targeted. And also, you know, we passed from back then, the corporates a few years ago, doing corporate innovation was more into like, uh, I want to, I want my corporate to be seen as innovative. I want my corporate to be seen as someone that uh, works in a different mindset. Uh, and so it was driven a lot more by uh, marketing, communication. Mm -hmm. You know what uh, Tendai Vicky is always saying about this um, uh, innovation theater. And today, the corporates know a lot more uh, that this really works. And so, and they also know that they have little time to waste. And so everyone wants the startup wants this to be a success because they want to win their next big client. And the corporate wants the pilot to be a success because they have they don't have time to waste and they really mm -hmm. want to target this. And so by having this ecosystem and by having all these stakeholders involved, you go a lot faster, you produce a lot more, you're a lot more focused, and you you bring a lot more innovation into the organization, you change the, the mindset faster, and then who knows what the ecosystem can evolve into? You know, the collaboration between corporates can evolve into a partnership, long-term partnership, sure. or even the with the universities or with government. By having all these stakeholders involved, you actually produce something that is really more long-term impact. Interesting. And that's what you have in nowadays with this collaborative innovation uh, happening. So you're really bringing in a lot more voices, a lot of different perspectives and a, a lot of different approaches all together to kind of create one holistic process. Yes, yes. yes. And it's a lot so, more complex, but mm -hmm, because it's more complex also, you need to articulate all the stakeholders correctly. Yes. But in the end, what you get as a result is much stronger than you had in the first version of Open yes. Innovation. So I was, I was going to ask then as well, you know, given you have all these different voices, there's a possibility, I guess, that they could be competing and there could be some challenge there. What would you say would be the main, the main challenges to overcome with it? Yeah. So uh, on the competition part, we typically, for instance, if we have a number of corporates together, we either select a sector and then you can have different parts of that sector inside the same program. And so imagine that you're doing a program on tourism. Maybe you're going to bring uh, an airline, a hotel, a tourist um, a travel agency, you know, even the tourism representation of the country, you know, different stakeholders that typically would work together and not compete. And even if you have competitors, typically we work in different geographies. So they might compete, but uh, due to being in different geographies, they typically don't. Uh, or they feel at ease to work together. Okay, interesting. And so what are the, the implications that this could have for the future? What are the benefits of doing this? I mean, one of the main ones is you, you get your results a lot faster. You mm -hmm. change your mindset a lot faster. 
uh, the organizations need to, you know, uh, the other day I was talking with a, with a CEO that was telling me uh, we were starting a program and basically the CEO was like, okay, I want these two guys to also participate in the, in the program. And we said, well, but they don't believe in this innovation. You don't, they don't believe in this uh, new way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And the uh, and the CEO said that that's precisely why I want them to participate yeah. because I want to see and test if these people are ready to move to the 21st century with the company or I have to do something else with um, with these people. And so, also that by by producing these programs is not only about having the business units uh, aligning uh, their challenges with solutions from the market and actually getting results. It's also the the change of mindset across the board inside the organization that mm-hmm. changes. And this is really what we need. I mean, the corporates need to, the big corporates need to understand that it's a whole new world out there. Uh, there's uh, your competition typically nowadays doesn't come in, in your face. They come from the side and you take like two, 3% of your market and then another one another one and suddenly in a year you lost 15 percent from different types of competitions that you weren't even looking at you know and so because of that you need to change the way you you work you change the way you look at the market change the way you understand where is my new markets where is the possibility of introducing new products making new partnerships with new players so all this is a lot more complex but it's also a lot more fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's, it's a more complex world and I don't think the benefits of collaborative approaches can ever be understated. I think they're always much more beneficial for everybody involved. You know, as we mentioned, you know, there's there's some challenges to overcome, but it's it's always better to pull in more voices and perspectives. You, you get better outcomes, ultimately. Right, right. I yeah. agree. And so how would you sum up better I, the, the consultancy that you're working on at the moment? Well, like you said, we do collaborative innovation between the different stakeholders creating these ecosystems, but we go from A to Z. We build these um, programs and we strategize and design and operationalize these programs so that you get the best results possible at the end. You want them, you want these corporates not only to understand the solutions they see in front of them, see where they can actually uh, do, for instance, a pilot arrive to the end and actually uh, have a successful pilot that shows to the organization, okay, this business unit was able to change something. And let's face it. I mean, the business units and the the guys that are heading these business units, corporate people also think about, okay, I want my bonus at the end of the year. I want my boss to be happy. And these Mm -hmm. are things that help in that. If I'm able to find a solution from a startup that actually increases my revenue, even if it's 1% or decreases my costs, then I'm going to be happy. The boss is going to be happy. The division is going to be happy. And so we also have to work with the incentives of the corporate world. But then in the end, what you get is a lot of these startups, they typically tend to have to take a lot of time to actually be in front of the decision maker, you know, the guy that will actually buy your products when you want that person to to actually understand what you're building 
and then buy the, the product for your company or do a partnership, whatever uh, business transaction. And if you're able to come into a program like this and actually face a number of business units from a number of corporates in a week, and you actually talk with all these stakeholders, imagine the, the quickness that you get by uh, participating in something like this. And so for the startup is amazing. They look at the stakeholders, all of them, even if your product is not accepted, just the introductions that you got. Maybe the, the corporate will say, you know, I like the team, but the technology is a bit green. Maybe talk with us in six months. Already mm -hmm. that is the really good uh, insight because you know already what you have to do. And then you know that you have the, the stakeholder to, to engage again in six months and you know who is the right person. And so these programs really help uh, drive the innovation from the startups and get the startups to land their next big clients. For the corporate world, I mean, just the fact that you see so many solutions in a fast way and you're able also to collaborate and understand from the other corporates, how was to work with this startup? Oh, amazing founders, but really technology is a bit green. Or the opposite, it could be that technology is amazing, but the founders are a pain in the ass, really difficult to work with. Uh, they think we're going to steal their products. So all these insights are really good for you to decide what's your next step. Sure. And so I guess going off of this project and, and your personal experience as well within the public sphere and kind of the interconnection between the public and private sphere, um, I'm wondering how can tech and this kind of collaborative approach be used to, to better society for good and leave lasting impact uh, that, that's bettering people's lives? I mean, we work in um, six main sectors. Uh, maybe the biggest ones are really energy sector, healthcare sector, and mm -hmm. sustainability su sustainability okay. sector. And all these have huge impacts. I mean, nowadays, really, if you look, yeah, if you look at energy, uh, the amount of investment being put in the, especially in Europe with this new program from the European Commission, the Repower yeah. EU, and all the, I mean, the, all the after the pandemic, now with the war and the the energy crisis, uh, the prices soaring. You really need new technologies, and and, and not in, not even counting on the sustainability goals that we need to achieve. Looking at airports and looking at airplanes and the change of energy transition that needs to occur in the cities, the the energy transition also that needs to occur in the different stakeholders inside the city. I mean, just energy is a like a huge problem. Absolutely. And and I think technology uh, aligned with uh, what, for instance, the European Commission is doing with legislation in, in different stakeholder, in different areas, like uh, uh, they produce the Digital Services Act, they produce the Artificial Intelligence Act, they produced now even uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was this new carbon removal certification framework that was designed. Mm -hmm. Uh, that, I mean, 20 years ago, we had this carbon credits framework. It didn't work so well. Uh, we hope that the commission, uh, and I think the commission really understood that needs to have all the stakeholders more involved into designing this legislation and really producing something that makes sense for the markets. Uh, but I really think the it's much more intertwined than before. And, and also that legislation 
even though it tends to be later than what tech produces, it it's starting to catch up faster to technology than before. Uh, and then there's things like, uh, I, I mean, if you watch the news in the last week, this uh, chat uh, GPT is changing completely the, the way people look at uh, artificial intelligence. Yeah. And, um, and it's really revolutionizing the way the people interact. I mean, the other day I was looking at the tweet from Paul Graham from Micrometer, and he was saying, half of my tweets are about chat GPT. It's unbelievable. And so people are, are experimenting. And uh, uh, even yesterday, I saw uh, a guy using ChatGPT to um, understand lines of how they, he can pick up uh, girls on, on Tinder, you know, to, wow. so it's, it's really, and there's really no limits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the, like I was saying, I think it's uh, legislation is catching up, but uh, you need this, uh, you need the, the regulation uh, coming uh, and organizing the rules of the game so that everyone plays in the in the same field, you know. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you, you're touching on a point that it kind of goes hand in hand in a way, you know, because this collaborative innovation um, paradigm is all about bringing in different stakeholders, different voices, right. perspectives, and so is democratic society, right? It's about bringing in different actors from across society and addressing concerns, addressing needs and addressing different perspectives. And, and so I think it, it does really go go hand in hand, especially in the wider European community. And um, when we are faced with so many different crises at the moment, you know, as you mentioned, with the energy crisis and geopolitical situations. And so I guess at the moment, I'm just curious to know, like, how do you feel about the European Commission's handling and legislation surrounding tech and how tech can be used for good? Do you think that there's any additional legislation or initiatives that they should be putting in place or are they moving fast enough? How, how do you see it? I think there's a lot of initiatives. The Innovation Commissioner, Maria Gabriel, is really pushing. I was this week at the European Innovation Council Summit, and you could see that there is a, a lot doing being done, for instance, on the, the funding of mm -hmm. uh, later stage startups. Uh, they even launched a, a more, uh, a bigger fund. I think it's something like 3 billion to really support yes. something like 30 really late stage startups uh, in Europe to, to get these ones that really make a difference and, and produce a lot of, uh, of jobs and, and create really deep tech, um, interesting startups. Um, the other point that I see from uh, the commissioner is really pushing the, the the fact that they, she wants diversity in the in the room she mm -hmm. wants to have more women she wants to have more people of color she wants to have uh, more people from different uh, wider countries one of the things that i was um, we were talking about um, the investment being made and if you look at the whole of europe uh, about 80% of the investment in the startups is being made in like five countries and, uh, yes. and and the other 20% is in the other 15 or 18 countries. Yeah, and so you need more diversity. And for that, mm -hmm. you need to go to the wider countries uh, that don't have so much investment being uh, made. And, and you need to somehow help them and create new programs that uh, the European Commission can actually either help train or, or help with the new funds 
or help the startups uh, not move from that place to another place and they actually have the tools for them to make it work at that country. And so I believe there's still a lot to do, but uh, we're going the right direction. Interesting. I, I agree. I think we're going in the right direction, but I think you, you touched on an important point there as well, that diversity and inclusivity across Europe's startup ecosystem, we need to see it in so many different lenses and perspectives. It's We need more women, yeah, we need more people of color, but we also need to be looking across borders and at different yes. regions within Europe too. Like this, there's so many different aspects. And I do think there are programs in place um, helping that, but yeah, there's there's always work to be work to be done. Um, so now recently as well, there was a, a Vox Pop project launched in, in Lisbon um, to address mobility for, for vulnerable communities that I believe you were involved with. Could you tell us a little bit about that and, and how tech can play its role? Yeah, so uh, that program is um, mainly driven by the, um, the Lisbon City Hall and mm -hmm. uh, attracts a number of different stakeholders from uh, transportation uh, municipality, transportation companies to companies working on the water or the energy uh, areas. And, and really bringing all the, the stakeholders to really produce. Um, I mean, the, the Vox Pop in itself uh, is focused on how do you bring new innovation to people with uh, low mobility in the cities? And um, how can you introduce that into public transportation or other uh, parts of the, of the city? And it's really uh, an ecosystem that was created uh, with all these uh, private and, and public mm -hmm. companies, plus with the city hall, uh, driven by a, a number of goals that they want to achieve on the mobility of, of, of people that have really low mobility in, for, the, for the city. And I think one of the things that really works is when you see that uh, private and public can actually work together at the same speed. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of times we, we talk about, oh, public organizations typically go a lot slower. And, but because the private is pushing uh, for the public to go faster and the public is introducing the difficulties that actually exist in the public sector, to actually push some of the requirements into something that actually produces results, then both understand much better the difficulties that are in, in front of them. And by aligning that, they produce actually good results. And so what we've seen is really interesting results on that. And I mean, I think there's still going to be a report at the end uh, on all the results, but uh, but it's like uh, we were talking at the beginning, this collaborative innovation with the different stakeholders, uh, private and public, and, and uh, having the anchor of the municipality with a big challenge of the city and producing results for a city is really one of the drivers for, for that project. Interesting. I, I think it's a, it's a really wonderful example of just how you can align, you know, private and public sector with a clear goal and align at the same pace and, and have really positive and beneficial yeah. impacts. Uh, we did, really you know, we did uh, something similar with uh, Roche um, uh, last year that was really, the request was simple, was we're bringing a new drug to the market, uh, focused on the Alzheimer uh, disease, mm -hmm. and we want to bring um, 
all the stakeholders involved because we want to drive data and information faster into the hands of the patients and the family of patients and the doctors and the hospitals and insurance companies and Ministry of Health. And so we actually created this whole ecosystem that produced really interesting results to drive that innovation across all the different stakeholders. And as you progress in the project, really see that, okay, it's, of course, the drug will help and we're not actually touching uh, the drug. That's for the, the pharma and the labs and all, everything and the, the scientists to work on that. But if we're able to produce systems that actually help that the progress of the, the health of the patients, um, that data actually be in the hands of the right people so that, for instance, the insurance understands uh, how to faster approve the um, the how do you say the the payment for the drug, yeah. or the Ministry of Health can actually approve um, a percentage of the of that expense uh, mm -hmm. that can be used by the insurance and all these dif different things that actually help the patient in the end. Uh, even just the information for the association of patients or the doctors. I mean, that's really, if you're able to save one life or able to give more time for someone, then you've won the day. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely incredible, you know, to see how these projects are in motion. And as you say, you're actively saving and improving people's lives, you know, and at the end of the day, that that's what matters. And we are creating all this amazing tech in, in society, like tech development at the moment is, is moving at such a fast pace. So it's, yeah. it's really important to see that it does have very beneficial and, and tangible outcomes. Yes, for absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And so just um, kind of as well to kind of, you know, wrap up the, the podcast a little bit. Um, you obviously are, you know, coming from Portugal, you're, you're very immersed in the Portuguese startup ecosystem. And, and Portugal as well is really becoming one of the, the star countries of Europe's startup ecosystem as a whole. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's quite impressive. Um, have you been so to Lisbon? I have, and I absolutely love Lisbon. It's a beautiful yeah. city. Um, I yes. visited Porto as well, which I, I think is really yeah, cool. Yeah, very nice city as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lovely place. So I guess my, my question is, why is Portugal at this point right now? What what has led to it? I think, I mean, uh, people think that this uh, these things happen from one day to the other, but uh, it was a long time coming, and uh, it was uh, a decade of effort, really, of pushing and creating this grassroots movement uh, in Portugal, having all the different stakeholders, and just like any ecosystem, the 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 startup ecosystem in Lisbon and Portugal. Uh, really started by having all these uh, founders starting their companies, evolving, getting their first round, second rounds, and so forth, and and really arriving to a point where they can give back to the ecosystem. You know, and even the fact that you couldn't find people to bring to your company that weren't uh, foreigners that had the experience to grow a company from 100 to 500 or from 500 to 2000 or something like this. Nowadays, you do have that. And um, and it's very interesting to see the combination of really uh, Portuguese people that are growing a lot and their knowledge into these big unicorns and big uh, mm -hmm. startups in Portugal. And also the foreign companies 
coming and interacting with these companies. But then now we're seeing this uh, second wave of, uh, you know, the, the tech engineer uh, that, or a team that was involved in uh, the beginning of a unicorn and then now comes out and really starts a new thing. Uh, yes. Just like the PayPal's of this life came out and produced so many of, this, uh, of these companies or Spotify and all these companies, it's happening the same in Portugal. And it's yeah. very interesting to see that uh, happening now. Plus, of course, you had um, not only the investments, but you had also the Web Summit brought a lot of uh, visibility mm -hmm. to, the, to the country. Uh, you have uh, good technical uh, people. You have, of course, the, all the good things of uh, the, the good weather, the food, uh, really yeah, people that speak a lot of languages. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, good weather, all that is is very attractive. For instance, now what we've seen, uh, a few years ago, we saw a lot of French coming. Then mm -hmm. uh, we saw a lot of the Israelis and, and Europeans come over. And a few years, uh, maybe three years ago, a lot of uh, people from East Coast. And now it's a lot of people from the West Coast and especially California. And yeah. so I guess the pandemic also helped uh, because people wanted, okay, that's it. I'm going to go to somewhere where it's nice and I want to be, I want to improve my quality of life or, or change my perception. There's only one life, right? Mm -hmm. And so people are changing, going to places uh, where there's more, uh, better quality of life. And so the other day I was looking at this um, uh, metrics on the, airports that had more uh, traffic or, or less, let's say less, um, uh, how do you say, less uh, a decrease in percentage of, of flights coming in um, okay. based on, on the uh, pre-pandemic. And one okay. of the things that you really see is the main airports have really lost less are the ones where you have really good quality of life, really good weather, mm -hmm. good food. People moved to those countries, you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, you have this right to those countries. People moving for work, digital nomad culture yeah. and vacation culture. Plus, people are working from so many different places now and the, mm -hmm. the whole ecosystem of work changed, you know? People, the other day I was talking with a, a CEO also was telling me like, uh, uh, by by being a leader of an organization, a lot of things changed. You used to have people come to the office and create a culture in that office. Now people don't come or they come Monday and Tuesday or Thursday and Friday, or they don't come or they come once a week and the other week they don't come. And so how do you build a culture on the, that fact? Even the fact that you used to hire people to come to the office now, if you don't say that, uh, oh, it can be remote or hybrid or whatever, then people don't even yeah. apply, you know? And so all this changed the way people look. And Lisbon really, and Lisbon and Portugal really um, positioned themselves. And they were at the right time, at the right point uh, to attract all these people to, to really come to, to, the, to the city and to the country. Even the nomads, I mean, uh, I've seen what Gonzalo Hall has done as with uh, with Madeira and the community of, of digital nomads that he created there. It's amazing what's happening in the country. Absolutely, and it's 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 really cool to see, you know, you and it's it's like this whole holistic approach as well of taking in all these different processes and, and points of view, and it's just seeing it all holistically come together and create this really thriving ecosystem there, which I, I think is really fascinating. And, and I have a lot of lessons for, for other regions too.
And so just as a final question, what do you think the future has for Portugal's startup ecosystem? Are you excited? <laughs> I am, I am, of course. I mean, I think it's going to be a bright future. I think we're we're going to a, a new step. Um, I think uh, the government is doing a great job uh, looking at the, what are the, need, the needs of the next phase. Uh, even the, the mayor of Lisbon, Carlos Moedas, launched this new unicorn factory to really push for later stage startups and helping them uh, land their next big clients, uh, get bigger rounds of investments, uh, bringing uh, different external uh, experts to help them out. And I think uh, what's happening right now is we're going to this um, helping. I mean, of course, you have the unicorns and all these big later stage companies but we need more of them to go into that path. And this is where really the, the ecosystem is pushing right now. So I think it's going to be very, you're going to see a lot more happening from Lisbon. Uh, we still have a few years of the Web Summit and now also with the Web Summit in Rio uh, already in 2023 mm -hmm. and the connection with Brazil, I think we're going to see something there happening. So really interesting times for Portugal. Great, great to hear. And it's great, and I'm looking forward to see see what's to come. So, so thank you so much for for all your insights. It's been wonderful to have you here today. Thank you, thank you. Thank you.